Well, if, uh, as Jonathan said, welcome. Really glad you're here. And especially if, if you're a friend or family of somebody that was joining or being baptized, it's really great to, to have you here. And to let you know what we're up to, we, when we get to the preaching time of the service, when it works out, we like to go through things. We'll go through a book of the Bible or, or a series and not just jump around topically. So we're a little past the halfway mark of one of Paul's letters. This is his letter to the Colossians in the New Testament. And it's just four chapters, but a lot there. So we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow in the bulletin there. I bet at some point you have known somebody, or this may be you, but if not you, somebody that you know in your life who really bright, really competent, people regarded this person as very competent, and they feel stupid. They feel, like a, they feel like losers. But they exude competence. I, I remember when I was a campus minister that uh, more than once I sat across from a co-ed who just objectively was very pretty. And she felt ugly. And I mean, you could tell her whatever you wanted, but the way she did life, she felt ugly. Here's one that strikes very close to home, and uh, this may actually be you, or it may almost certainly be someone in your life, and it's where you have a married couple, and um, when they're married, not only in the eyes of the state... Are they married? Are they really, you know, husband and wife? But in the eyes of the Lord. It's not just Christian marriages that he views as real marriages, but he views a marriage as really the union of husband and wife. And and Old and New Testament use the language of, it's not, you know, aspire to become one flesh. It just says, if you're married, you are one flesh. You are one flesh. So you can be that, but they can still live very much like two individuals. Now, what's the common thread that runs through those examples? Just because you are something doesn't mean that you live as if you are. Let me say that again. Just because you are something doesn't mean you live as if you are. And I'm going to say this more than once before this sermon is over, but that is a big deal with Paul. And this is not the only place that he brings this up, but this is sort of a classic passage about that reality. It's not just, hey, believe in Jesus and you'll have all these resources. Over and over, it's it's sort of like if Paul were standing in front of us, we're wanting to say, okay, okay, I know you've got all this theology, but, but first, just tell me what to do. And Paul says, no. No. First, I'm going to tell you who you are. Then we're going to talk about what you do that flows out of, first, who you are. Let's look at this. Colossians chapter 3. And remember, this is not Paul just writing about the general human condition. He's writing to Christians about life in Jesus Christ. That's already come up. When you believe in Christ... You are in Christ, and He is in you. So what? Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the day, preachers used to start, um, they would start a sermon with a poem and end by quoting a hymn. I don't don't do those a lot, but I'm going to start with a poem. And this is a poem by a friend of mine. And it just basically came out of what he was seeing in his family and friends and people around him and in his church, and so he wrote this poem, and it's called No Surprise. It was no surprise to be sure that we saw the damage now strewn all over town. For years we saw it coming, though we hoped we were wrong and sometimes thought things might actually work out. But that was just a dream. You do what you can, and sometimes you just can't do any more, and then the wheels just fall off. One time my dad told me that things will get better. Well, they didn't. Things got worse. She cried and he yelled the scent of vodka in his voice, both filling the room and then silence, just silence. There were no more Christmas cards 
and no more photographs at the beach with everyone in their matching white shirts and blue jeans. There are instead moving vans and therapists and Kleenex boxes. The kids spend time with friends and wonder what happened and was it their fault and why is mama so sad? But that was years ago. And now their wives are sad. And their breath has the scent of vodka. And we hope things will get better. But deep down we know the way it will end. With the sound of crying. And the familiar scent of vodka. And silence. That unnerves me. Because that poem acknowledges something that I think unnerves or should everyone here. And that is family patterns that I continue. And it's just almost a truism. And I've seen it in my own life. And I have seen it in conversations with you. When you talk about your experience, that sometimes the very thing that I hated in the generation before me, or two generations before me, I am becoming it. I'm doing it. Uh, We aspire to preach good news, which I don't think it has sounded like so far this morning. And I want to preach good news. And I want you to know what kind of good news I'm preaching. It's the good news of Jesus, but I want to think about it in in these terms, that Jesus Christ his person and work, his life and death and resurrection for his people, it doesn't just get his people into heaven. It's not just the good news of you can be clean. You can be forgiven. Although that's that's true. But it is the awesome news that we can actually change. That God can actually change us. And I'm going to say this right now, mostly for myself. Can we stop saying to each other versions of, you know, people just don't change. Yeah, if if you are not in Christ, if you do not believe the good news, or if you believe it, but you do not appropriate what you have, that's correct. You will not change. Except worse, you'll change worse. But Christ came not just to redeem us, forgive us, cleanse us, remake us, changes. So let's look at this. Real change. Not just behavior modification, but real change of our insides. So let's think in these terms. Real change means prior change. Real change means killing. And real change means dressing. Let me say those again. Real change means prior change. Real change means killing. And real change means dressing. All right, first off, real change means prior change. And what I'm getting at here is what I've already said, is that, again, you know, we look at our lives, we look at how we fall short, we look at what frustrates us about ourselves, or it frustrates, you know, others are frustrated with us, and we want Paul to just tell me what to do. And Paul says, no. First, we're going to remember who we are. Look at how Paul, first off, 
he underscores what has already happened. Before he tells you do this or do that, here's what has already happened in your lives. Verse 1. Now again, he's not speaking about just the general human condition. He's writing to believers. He's writing Christians. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, not a future resurrection, the real you has been raised. Verse 3, for you have died. Not you're going to. The old you has already died. Look in verse 9. He does make an exhortation, but then he goes back to what you already have. He says in verse 9, don't lie to one another. Why not? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now, this, I'm, I'm belaboring this point because it just took me so long for this to gel in my own mind. And as I love to say to you, I want you to do better than me. Here's what has already happened. The old self, the old you died. And that is a huge deal because I'm just telling you from experience, it's really easy to go through life as a Christian, as somebody who believes in Jesus and perceive yourself as just a forgiven version of the you you've already been. And that completely flies in the face of the New Testament. The old you died. The old is gone. The new you has risen. Newness of life. New creation. And therefore, you already have put off the old self like a set of clothes. You've already put it off. And you've already put on the new you. Now that's already happened. So then what are you already? Before we talk about what you do, what are you? Uh, Look in verse... 12. This is, this is really great. He's going to tell you what to put on, but put on as what kind of people? God's, verse 12, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then in verse 13, forgiving each other, why? As the Lord has forgiven you already. If you are in Christ, you cannot jump through any hoop to get God to choose you. He has already chosen you. With no merit, He chose you before the foundation of the world. You're already holy. You're already loved. And and I'll say there's this, you know... (laughs) Maybe like Pharisee preacher in me that wants to go, don't tell them that. If you tell them that they're already beloved and holy, they won't work on it. And essentially Paul says, hey, if you don't know you're already holy and you don't know you're already beloved, you won't work on it. You're already forgiven. You're already forgiven. Here's his takeaway from that. If, if that's true, you must set your mind on things that are above. You, you must set your mind in heaven, not on earthly things. Now, I, I, I think, I, I don't know how that hits you. If you just heard him say, oh, don't think about old stupid work, you know, and family. 
or, or like Paul saying, hey, don't, don't you think about forests, you know, or mountains or flowers. Don't you do that? Of course not. In fact, he makes a big deal out of God made all these things for our enjoyment. It's a heresy not to enjoy those things. He uses that kind of language. But what is he saying? The earth or the world, those are just kind of catch-all terms in the New Testament, not for physicality, but just for a system of rebellion against God. It's, it's the earth, it's the world, as far as sin and the curse and things falling apart. And here's what he's acknowledging. Everybody, every, every human being, every person in this room is being, your identity is being acted upon to form you. Something is forming you. And Paul is acknowledging that and sort of raising the question, so what forms you? Is it the world or is it the realities at the right hand of God the Father? I mean, think about this. Think about, we don't really say this out loud, but most of us in some form or fashion, we have been formed by a mindset that that would say, if I can get my hands around everything, and if I can get on top of everything, I can be okay and have peace. And if I can't, I can't. And we may not say that loud, but it just that, that may almost seem like, well, that's obvious. That's just self-evident. Yeah, that is a worldly mindset. And you know what? It seems like not a big deal, and it seems like not that sinister, and I know I can be kind of wrapped around the, wrapped around the axle. That will wage thermonuclear war on your insides. Because... We are never going to get our hands around all our problems or all the bad news or all the things that are broken or all there is to be done. We will never get control of it. If peace doesn't come from somewhere else, we're not going to have it. And what is Paul saying? What is forming you? Being on top of things? People responding to you the way you like? Or is what forms you that you are in that man at the Father's right hand. And he's actually really, not pretend, physically there. So that if you could go into the glorious presence of God the Father and not be blown away, and if you could extend your hand, your hand would stop where his chest and shoulders are. He is there. He's a man. And the Father that He is beside has adopted you and loves you. And He is there and He's for you. The Father's for you, but the Son is for you. And you're clean. And what He has, you have. And the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and He's in you, and He works in you, and He loves you. And and what does it go on to say? What's going to happen in the future? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And when the risen Christ appears on the earth in glory, no one is going to be worried about whose kids got in the honors program or who dressed cuter than who else. But something is forming us, and Paul says, you're already meditating. You're already thinking. You're already being crafted. Think on him, what you already are and what you already have.
or you won't change. Second, real change means killing. That's strong language. But Paul, he uses the language in verse 5. This is not the only place he says this, where you don't manage sin. You don't make sort of compromises with sin. You kill it. And the most famous thing in English ever written about this, the old word for this is mortification. The mortification of sin. There's a Puritan named John Owen who wrote this long book on the mortification of sin. Listen to what he said. This, this is very typical of that book. He says, Let not that man think he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the bellies of his lusts. This is like a cross between Christian living and a Quentin Tarantino movie of just this image of I'm not playing with sin, I'm not managing sin. I want a room full of corpses of my sinful desires. I want to step over their bodies. John Owen says, if you're not doing that, do not, do not kid yourself that you're growing. Now notice this, Paul, he doesn't start with kill these certain behaviors, although they're ones that need to be killed, but he starts where? With just impulses, desires, before they've taken the form of actions. Look at what he says, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, he doesn't mean, he's not faulting us for having bodies and skin and hair and all that. He's talking about what's worldly. The way the system of the world has, has formed us. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, oh, and let, don't, I don't need to leave this out. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now think about this. Um, I see this downtown. I think the city does a good job of managing it. I saw it all the time growing up in my hometown of Jackson, Mississippi, where you, uh, you have a sidewalk, an old neighborhood sidewalk downtown. And, and years ago, maybe a hundred years ago, there was a sapling planted there. And it was great. Didn't mess with the sidewalk. Didn't mess with the street. If that sapling is allowed to grow, it becomes a tree. And if it's in a good place, it becomes a big tree. And it has the power to uplift a slab of concrete that you and I can't lift. A tree. A, a tree, a sapling, I mean, an acorn that just becomes a little sprig beside a house, if left unchecked, could grow and push the entire roof off the house. That is a picture of our insides. You know, we tend to think, wow, what's the thing in, like, okay, for instance, we just had a time where we said, let's, let's confess our sins. And I don't know what you thought about. But we tend to think at the level of the behaviors. And we do need to confess those. those. We need to confess our sinful behaviors. But where we don't go are even things like, I want to be the funniest person in the room. I just want it. I want the attention. I want the nicest stuff. 
I want to be seen as important. I want to feel important. I want to be desired. You know what? I don't, how about this? I don't want to have an affair with anybody. I don't want to, to fall into sexual sin with anybody. I just kind of want somebody to like try to seduce me because I'm attractive. Paul says that, and that might be more than a sapling, but that is something that if you do not kill it, that tree will push the whole roof off your house. Storm will come right in. But then to kill the behaviors that grow out of it. Verses 8 and 9. Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice. Do you get the sense that maybe anger is a problem in the Christian life? Slander. Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. It's the language of your, clo- your heart wears clothes. Our hearts have clothes. What are the clothes? Are, are the clothes, hey, don't ever, ever talk down to me. Or I will let you know in no uncertain terms that nobody talks down to me. Which would be the opposite of the posture of a servant which is what we're called to be. You can talk down to servants. To put it to death. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, think about it in terms of life being a trajectory. Think about, Nate, you know your life and you know your story to whatever degree we're able to be objective about it. When you look at your life and you think, I am more blank than I was 10 years ago And I don't like that. Or I am more blank than I was 20 years ago. And I don't like that. Whether that's angry or cynical or covetous or worried or whatever. And so here's the question. Why would the passage of the next 10 or 20 years magically change that? And the answer is it won't. Unless you kill it. And friends, this is why we need real relationships. This is why you really need a real community that you don't just visit, but you come into it and really participate in it and build deep relationships. This is why you need at least one actual friend. Because if we don't have objectivity about ourselves, we won't see the things that we need to kill. But when people get to know us well, when they work with you, when they live with you, they can help. Hard, hard to hear it. But it's love for the Holy Spirit to let us see through whatever means. If you don't kill that, it will take you down. And it's not the real you. And that's, that's the setup for the next point. And I want to end on that note. If you've always been an angry person, you feel like you're not being you if you're not an angry person. And Paul says, back to the first point. Back to the first point. That self died. The new self rose. You are the new creation in Christ. The new creation is supposed 
to live a righteous life. It's supposed to be a holy man or woman. When you do not engage in sinful anger, now you're really being yourself. And this is the point about real change, finally, means dressing, putting on the real clothes that fit. I've shared this with, uh, with some of you before, but I saw an interview years ago. It was a guy, just a like, high-level tailor, uh, you know, make, makes clothes for the, for the very wealthy, uh, men's clothes. And he was talking about it's a perennial problem for men that they keep buying clothes that are too big for them. Now, why do they do that? Because when they were growing up, they're, they're growing like a weed. And so you always have to buy something a size or two too big, you know, because clothes are expensive. And like, let's buy a little bit too big so you can grow into it. And they never snap out of that to say, I've stopped growing. And so they keep buying stuff too big. Several years ago, I, uh, I bought a coat and a guy sort of was saying that same thing to me. And I realized I kept buying stuff too big. And like, hey, you're in your 30s. You're not growing anymore. And so I got this, or maybe 40s at that point. I got, so I got this coat that fit. And it felt like shrink wrap when I put it on because everything had been so drapey that I'd had. And when I put on what fit, it felt weird and it felt wrong. Don't be shocked as a sinful new creation when you put on what actually fits, that it feels weird and actually feels wrong. It feels like, this isn't me. And Paul is trying to grab us and go, I know it feels that way. I know it feels that way. It's you. It's you. And what does he do again? He, he doesn't start with behaviors. He starts with impulses, instincts. Um, look at the language of verse 12. Put on them. Again, you already have this. You're already God's chosen ones. You're already holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, which are all postures of what? Lowliness. Which is where that's miracle grow. Lowliness, not pride. But then what are the behaviors? Well, there's the, there's the behavior par excellence, verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That almost sounds like a 1970s Coca-Cola commercial, that love binds everything together in perfect harmony. And he says that. Maybe Coke stole it from Paul. Love is the ultimate ethic. Love is the ultimate objective. When you love God and you love people, you fulfill the law. So above all, put on love. What are two big expressions of that, briefly? First, and this one is so hard, forgiving people. Verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, not that that would ever happen in a local church, but theoretically... Somewhere in like Canada, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What am I supposed to extend to other Christians? The, the thing you want God to extend to you. 
Why should I? Because God has extended it to you. So forgive them. And thanksgiving. Uh, Let me just read this. The end of verse 15. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sounds like a, a worship service. With thankfulness in your hearts to God, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And I've said this in here before, but I'll say it again. Gratitude in the New Testament seems to be like fish oil for your insides. Whatever else you're doing or not doing for your health, take this and it's just not a bad idea. It is always a great idea to thank God publicly and privately for whatever you can think of. That you're God and I'm not and you've got it. You've got the whole world in your hands. Thank you. So much I want to say about this, but I I want to leave you with this encouragement since I depressed you with the poem at the beginning. I got an email from, from a former church member this week she had no idea that I'd be preaching about change. And, uh, and so she emailed. And actually, I had thought about her and her husband this week because they really went through an extremely difficult time in their marriage. And some of us waded into that with them. And, and it, I mean, really into the muckety-muck. And they've moved to a different town, so they're no longer here. But, uh, but I told her, I said, you know, I thought about you this week. And so she emailed back Wednesday and she said, no way. I was talking to a girl last week who has only known me for about a year and a half who is starting marriage counseling. I was telling her my story and how much I needed Jesus to change me and didn't even know it. She said, wow, I would never have thought you struggled with all of that. I said, and this is in all caps, Jesus, exclamation point. Holy Spirit, exclamation point. God the Father, exclamation point. Amen and hallelujah. End of email. And that that was just extremely encouraging to me that years ago she would have thought, I will never, ever, ever be like the poster girl of change. And you have to measure that in months and years, not, not days and weeks. And she looks up, and years later, somebody's going, wow, you know, I know you, and I never would have thought you struggled with those things. And she's shaking her head going, insert the doxology here. And I want that to encourage you. But don't start with your willpower and your energy and resources. But to begin where the apostle begins... What believers have in Christ, what you already have, who you already are, what has already happened, and to live out of that. To kill sin. Don't make agreements with it. Kill it. Put on the real you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father... We pray now that by Your Spirit, You would take this and make it happen in our lives. And Holy Spirit, it may be that as we've talked about killing, killing something even when it's a sapling, 
that certain things just jumped into our minds. We know exactly what that thing is. Help us not to try to kill it in our own strength. But because of the finished work of Jesus in your power, now to go after it. And to be who we really are as new creations. And Father, if there's anyone here who can't say, I know I'm a new creation, would you give that person the eyes to see and the ears to hear this morning? Make that person a new creation even today. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.